Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yeah, Donald Trump can't blame Barack Obama for Michael Flynn. Obama warned him not to hire him. Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Tuesday, May 9. Here we go. Good to be back with you after a uh, quick trip out to the West Coast. Hanging out with a couple of good friends out there on the West Coast. We'll tell you all about it. Now back with you here on the Bill Press Show. That's me, Bill Press. And it's good to have you with us. As we reach out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., bringing you up to date on all the news of the day and giving you a chance to sound off about it. And, man, I got to tell you, uh, there is so much to talk about today. That's why we're here with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Um, not only all the big news of the day, but all the big news that's happened since... You and I were together again. I got to catch up on all of that stuff, including that uh, disastrous health care vote last Thursday. Disastrous, that is, for millions and millions of Americans who, if it ever became law, would be um, adversely impacted by it, losing their health care coverage and, or paying a hell of a lot more if they were lucky enough to get insurance. Um, not only that vote disastrous for all those millions of Americans, but disastrous as we will see for the Republican Party as well. A giant act of collective political suicide. We'll bring you up to date on all of it and get your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Let us know what you think about the news of the day. But first, this is uh, the full court press. Anything we missed? Well, just a couple of other stories right. making news. Now, you remember there was a big fight last year about the San Bernardino killer and the fact that the FBI hacked into his phone. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. You remember that? And so there was it was going to be a situation where they were going to subpoena Tim Cook. They were going to make Apple unlock the phone. Apple pushed back on it. But the FBI found someone to unlock the phone. Well, we have now found out. <clears throat> it was a Russian. The government, well, we still don't know who broke into oh, the phone, oh, but we oh, did oh. find out what it cost American taxpayers. $900,000 is what the FBI paid to have an outside vendor hack into the locked phone of the gunman in San Bernardino, uh, California. 
$900,000. They have protected the identity of the vendor that they paid to do the work. So we still don't know who did it. But we do that we paid almost a million dollars to have them do that one phone. Seriously, couldn't they have gotten some teenager in his basement in his briefs to to do it for a lot cheaper? For all we know, that's who they might Jamie, have hired to do like, it. Jamie, you know, we could have... <laughs> I yeah. wear more than just boxers and briefs to work, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, money well spent, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, one way to protest the inhumane, cruel house health care bill, the AHCA, mailing your dead body to Paul Ryan. Ha! Seriously, there is actually a website set up called mailmetothegop.com, and they're saying that if you are cremated, you can set up to where your ashes are sent to the United States Congress. Specifically, Paul Ryan. Apparently, mailing human ashes are not as complicated as you might think. You just need some bubble wrap, a sturdy box, and a special label. So it's legal. It is completely legal to do, to mail your cremated remains to the United States Capitol, specifically Paul Ryan. The whole morbid joke idea here is that this health care bill is going to kill some people, so you might as well put the ashes at the feet of Paul Ryan, the guy who cram this through it's definitely going to kill people it will if it go, if, how, if this was to become law it would absolutely without a doubt kill people uh, and i'm sure you talked about this while i was going who is this idiot out in idaho or somewhere who said nobody ever lost their life because they didn't have raul labrador. labrador yeah right yeah nobody ever lost their life because they party. because they didn't have health care coverage right yeah like fifty thousand people a year yeah that's maybe the most out of touch thing a yeah and maybe the most conservative estimate, 50,000 died. Because of on your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you today, Tuesday, Tuesday, May, May 9th. Uh, the Bill Press Show with all the news of the day from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. Joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV. Joining you on WCPT out in Chicago on our podcast. Yes, indeed. Go to iTunes and just check out The Bill Press Show podcast or go to BillPressShow.com. And, of course, newly. And bigly on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash BP show. I want you to go there, sign up for all the exclusive new content we'll be putting up on Patreon uh, throughout um, just about every day here. Check it so out. So check it out. Check it out. We are, it's good to see you today. I'm back from a little uh, quick trip out to Los Angeles joining the Death Penalty Focus Organization. A uh, great organization that has been championing the repeal of the death penalty in California for decades. Uh, had a big measure on the ballot, Prop 62, last year, which sadly did not pass. I voted for it. Uh, and uh, there was a competing measure on the ballot to fix, quote unquote, fix the death penalty. Uh, sadly, that's the one that passed. But uh, still a lot of support there uh, for abolishing the death penalty. Uh, Governor Jerry Brown is against it. And at this dinner Sunday night, the honorees were 
Senator Bernie Sanders and the uh, great uh, Vietnam-era rock star Joan Baez. Hey, um, all right. Got to hang out with uh, both of them, and uh, they got a huge, huge reception from the crowd. It was a, uh, it was a fun evening. Great to be there. Uh, Mike Farrell, by the, uh, you know, oh yeah, who's been our in our in our studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star of Mash, of course. Uh, great, great guy. He has made this really his life's work. And Mike was the chair of this dinner, so it was nice to hang out with him too. Had a little email from him this morning. So, uh, and yeah, good to be back with you to bring you up to date on all the news of the day. The big stories, of course. Acting Attorney General, former Acting Attorney General Sally Yates says she warned the White House about Michael Flynn. Uh, apparently, reportedly, Barack Obama and Sean Spicer confirms also warned Donald Trump about uh, Michael Flynn. The uh, Jared Kushner's family is out selling access, not only access to the White House, but citizenship in the, in the United States for big investors in their real estate deals. And we're going to find out the cost of protecting the Trump family has gone through the roof. We taxpayers are really getting stuck with that bill. You know, can we start out by saying, I'm sure you did too, Peter, vive la France. Yeah, 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 yeah. congratulations yeah. to Emmanuel Macron, the new president of France, and to the French people. Uh, I got so many emails from my French friends uh, over the weekend saying, oof. Oof, what a relief. We're so happy. Uh, and it, this sort of puts the brakes on the Trumpian move in Europe, which people were really afraid about. First, it was Brexit, you know, and then Brexit kind of helped uh, fuel the Donald Trump wave. And then people thought this was going to sweep Europe. Uh, but it hasn't happened. Uh, the nationalist, extremist, nationalist, anti-immigrant wave in ne the Netherlands was uh, that candidate was defeated and Marie Le Pen defeated soundly. Boy, she didn't even get 40% of the vote. Was it, I think, 34% uh, in France. And so I think people have seen Donald Trump. I, I really believe that the first 100 days of Donald Trump convinced the French people, no, 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 we don't want to go there. It's a good Vive la France! <laughs> hey, that's a really good point. Like, yeah. Brexit was the first one to go, and since yeah. Brexit... Other than here in America, in Europe, you look at Austria, you look at the yeah. Netherlands, you look yeah. at France. They've all had their chance to sort yeah. of go down that path again, and no one's willing to go back. Right, down that and path. people worried about the German elections coming up next. Uh, I think pretty clear uh, Angela Merkel will uh, will succeed. There, in fact, she had a, a, a big little win uh, over the weekend in one sec section of Germany that uh, where her party was not supposed to do that well. At any rate, it was a great relief. Uh, and a great move by the French people. Now, of course, Macron has a very faced a very serious challenge because he doesn't have a party. He's a candidate without a party. He's a president without a party. Uh, and so with the parliamentary elections coming up, uh, he's going to have a very, very difficult task of being able to cobble together enough support from everywhere, all different directions, uh, to get a majority or enough to really form a new government um, in the parliament. But uh, at least the first big hurdle was passed, and he is the new president of France. Man of the hour, Michael Flynn, not looking so good today, and neither is Donald Trump. Yes, indeed. Uh, the White House, even yesterday, was trying to, uh, with Sean Spicer at the briefing, trying to blame Barack Obama 
for uh, uh, for Michael Flynn. Hey, if he was so bad, why didn't Obama take away his security credentials, says Sean Spicer. President Obama was truly concerned about General Flynn. Why didn't he suspend General Flynn's security clearance, which they had just reapproved months earlier? Well, how about this, Sean Spicer? He fired him. Okay? He fired him. Not, not only that. Start there. Start there, right. Yeah. Michael Flynn was the head of the military defense uh, agency at the Pentagon. Uh, he was so inept, so bad, pissed off so many people that President Obama fired him. And then, and this is, uh, we learned this yesterday for the first time, and then two days after the election, uh, so November 10, 2016, uh, when Donald Trump met with President Obama for an hour in the White House, uh, President Obama told Trump, hey, this Michael Flynn guy, I know he's working with you. He's a bad dude. Don't let him anywhere near the White House. Donald Trump ignored President Obama's advice, hired him as his national security advisor. And then we find out that Donald Trump, I mean, uh, that Michael Flynn was lying to Michael Pence about his conversations with the Soviet ambassador. He told Michael Pence you know, they never talked about sanctions. Michael Pence goes out on uh, national television, show to Sean Spicer and say, nah, Flynn, uh, Mike Pence, Michael Flynn, never talked to the ambassador about uh, about sanctions. He was not telling the truth because Flynn had lied to him. And the one who pointed this out to the White House was Sally Yates, then acting attorney general. Uh, by the way, I didn't realize this about Sally. As they say, she's just a partisan hack. She's not a partisan hack. I mean, she was first overwhelmingly uh, confirmed in the United States Senate. And she got into politics through old Bob Barr. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Bob Barr, who called for Bill Clinton's impeachment, I think before Bill Clinton was even sworn in. He was the first one to call for Clinton's impeachment, way before Monica Lewinsky, right? Bob Barr, the extreme, he and I became pretty friendly because he always used to do crossfire, but he was in the most extreme Republican member of Congress. Uh, and he's the one who hired Sally Yates because she was such a good attorney. He was U.S. attorney in Georgia, and he hired Sally Yates as his deputy, and then she came up here to the, uh, to the AG. So uh, she's a woman. Hardly with, a partisan hack. Hardly a partisan hack with extremely um, impressive credentials. Uh, and she talked about, so she, what happened is she, the, through normal, remember, just normal reconnaissance and monitoring, uh, the NSA was listening in to uh, the ambassador's Kislyak's telephone calls, and here he's talking with Michael Flynn, and they're talking sanctions. And Michael Flynn is out there saying, no, we never talked about sanctions. So Sally Yates knows this. So she said, boy, this is a problem for the White House. She calls the White House counsel, says, I got something so important to talk to you about, I can't do it on the phone. He says, come on over. She went down to the White House, as she says yesterday, and said, you better be aware of Michael Flynn's contact. Here's Sally Yates' testimony yesterday. We walked the White House counsel, who also had an associate there with him, through General Flynn's underlying conduct the contents of which I obviously cannot go through with you today because it's classified. But she did point out that because of what he said privately and what he was saying publicly, um, he was compromised. We believed that General Flynn was compromised with respect to the Russians. And then the next day, 
the White House counsel, get this, calls her back to the White House. She, this is a testimony yesterday. She goes back to the White House and he says, I have a question for you. So what does it matter? What is it? Why? Why? If he's lying, one White House official is lying to another White House official. Why is that a problem? She points out to them why it's a problem. Not only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof of this information. And that created a compromise situation, a situation where the national security advisor essentially could be blackmailed by the Russians. Can we talk about how pleasing her voice is, by the way? By the way. Uh, She's like a, like an Elizabeth Warren with a southern twang. Yeah, no. I'm here really, for it. I, I like I, it very I, much. I, I never noticed that because <laughs> I'm not sure I ever heard her speak before, but yeah, I, yeah no, I noticed that right away. Yeah. No. No offense here, South Carolinian. Yeah, fair. But some southern accents really are oh. hard to take. Oh, no. There is a big difference between yeah. a nice southern accent yeah. and a pleasant this southern is a, accent. This is a beautiful, sexy, if I may say I so. Can, hey, now. Smooth. I yeah, can listen to her I, read a phone book. Absolutely. Yeah. but Not and, only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof. <laughs> uh, so they had proof they could blackmail Michael Flynn. That's why it was important. So get this. Let's remind ourselves. Sally Yates, acting attorney general, your national security advisor could be blackmailed by the Russians. He is lying through his teeth to you, Mr. President, to the vice president, to the press secretary, everybody here. And Donald Trump kept him on the job for another 18 days, during which time Michael Flynn sat in on meetings, national security meetings, the daily, uh, the daily briefing with the with the president, a man who was cheating with the Russians. At the very least, it does say something about Donald and Donald Trump's judgment. That and the fact that he ignored, just discounted President Obama's warning uh, about Michael Flynn. Another big issue a story came up yesterday, and boy, this one really bugs the hell out of me. The conflicts of interest, business conflicts of interest of the Trump family are unending. I mean, we already know that Donald Trump sitting in the White House is still sitting on top of the Trump empire and making money every through his businesses flung all around the world every single day. And not only that. He is promoting his own businesses by spending his weekends at Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster, New Jersey, or at the Trump International Golf Course here in Northern Virginia. That's the only place, or having dinner at the Trump Hotel in Washington. That's the only place he has ever been outside the White House is to a Trump property. Of course, because that gives them a certain special cachet, and people want to go there and spend their money there. And particularly foreign diplomats who think that that's how they're going to curry favor with the Trump White House. We also know that Melania has her own fashion brand, which is still on the market. We also know that Ivanka Trump, we've seen that. She's still out there hustling her market market brand, including most recently getting some new um, licenses in China. And now we learn it is Jared Kushner's family who is exploiting the White House as well. Uh, just uh, the very first bill that Donald Trump signed, among other things, it extended what's called the HB5 visa program. I didn't even know about this until this story broke. 
that the HB5 visa says, you know, there's the HB1 visas, which says that people who are like have special um, um, internet skills and they're needed for top jobs in the high tech industry, they can come in HB1, I think, or, or H1B. Or maybe yeah, H1B. Think, H1B. Yeah, yeah, and they use those a lot in Silicon Valley. But these are very talented. And by the way, we ought to be training those own people here. This is too bad, unfortunate, that we have to import these people, but we do for those top jobs in the high-tech industry. This HB5 is totally different. This is go- that people that can actually, if they invest money, enough money in an American project, they can get a visa to come to the United States. And 80% of them go to wealthy Chinese uh, individuals. So the Kushner family, Jared Kushner's sister, is in China. The very, again, the very first legislation, piece of legislation, Donald Trump signs, expands this program. The Kushner family goes over to China like the next day, and they give a great big presentation for a high-rise high-end condo project in Jersey City, a Kushner family real estate project. And they're saying, you, you invest $500,000 in our project and you get an HB5 visa. They're selling this stuff. This is just outrageous. And the presentation, there, was, there were reporters allowed in the room until they realized reporters were in the room and they threw them out. But the, the presentation included great big photo of Donald Trump and, of course, a great big photo of Jared Kushner, who happens to be the president's top advisor and the sister of the woman, I mean the brother of the woman who is making the pitch to the Chinese investors. So she's selling access. She's selling access to the White House, access to Jared Kushner, access to Donald Trump, and citizenship in the United States. This by the very man who wants to ban any Muslim from coming here, right? Or who says we have to build a wall. It is so gross on so many levels. It is a huge conflict of interest. And when when a reporter wrote this story, she came out and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to imply uh, that my brother was in any way involved with this project. Well, why do they have Donald Trump's picture and his picture up there on the wall, right? I mean, it's gross, absolutely gross. Money grubbing bunch the whole the whole crowd of them, and I'm telling you, I believe that this is what is going to bring Donald Trump down more than anything else. You know, not his personal behavior, not his tweets. It's going to be these conflicts of interest, and I know, uh, among other groups, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington has filed a lawsuit on all these multiple conflicts of interest. Of course, the help if we had a tax returns, we'd know more about it. But you know, I'm telling you, these people are in there for one reason only: money, 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 money. You're right. The you're whole right. crowd, starting with Donald Trump. This is what motivates the totally. Trump family, totally. right? But what's interesting to me is like this is a, clearly a money grab, and we knew that this was going to be coming from the Trump administration. But they're also just sort of like. This is not the biggest money grab. You know what I mean? Like, it's petty, dumb stuff that's going to get them in trouble, as you point out. Like, it's not – he's the leader of the free world, right? If he wanted to pull off a money-making scheme, he could make millions upon billions. And this is really kind of small ball stuff, but that's just kind of how – that's what terrible business people they are. 
They, they, they can't pull off the big con. They only know how to do this stuff. And, and it's so small and it's so sloppy that they're going to get popped for it. Yep. Yeah, they are. So in the conflict of interest, but, uh, now how are these people able to, uh, to, to uh, you know, get all this stuff done? And, uh, well, are they getting any help at all? Yes, they're getting a lot of help from you and me. The Los Angeles Times yesterday, coming back, picked the Los Angeles Times up at the uh, at LAX, and I got to tell you, they did some. There's such good investigative reporting going on right now by the Washington Post, by the New York Times, and by the LA Times. LA Times front page story, which really shocked me. I knew this was a problem. I didn't realize how bad it is. The amount of money that the Trump family is costing us with their travel and with security. Let me just give you, like, the headline. The headline is that in the first 100 days, the Trump family has cost us taxpayers $30 million in travel and security costs. Okay? That's Secret Service protection and cost of Air Force One or Marine One or whatever. $30 million. Barack Obama and his family in one year, eight years, cost us $12 $12 million. Figure it out. That's a year. $12 million a year for the Obama family. $30 million for 100 days for the Trump family. All right, do the math. Eight years at $12 million is $96 million, right? Okay, 100 days, let's say 400 just a shy of if the way the rate it's going right now with the Trump family, this year is going to be um, what Peter a uh, hundred, two hundred, three hundred. Keep going. Yeah, three hundred and fifty million. Keep going. Three hundred fifty million in one year, they will have spent almost four times, by my math, what the Obama family will have cost us in eight years. Good. Grief. No, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. 30. It's 30, 30, 30. So, no, they will have spent more in one year, at least. In one yeah. year, they will have spent yeah. more than the Obama. Yeah. Let's, let's not exaggerate. In one year, more than the Obamas will have spent in eight years. So, I, I, we've never seen a family this expensive in the White House. Now, why? Well, for one thing, there's so many of them, right? So, the protection is uh, for Donald Trump and Melania, for Barron. Okay, boom. Then... For his two sons and their wives and their kids, eight grandchildren, uh, for Ivanka and her husband, Jared, and their kids, I'd say a total of eight grand. So it's a total of 16 people that they're protecting. Tiffany's in there, of course, as well. Now she's going to Georgetown Law School. Uh, and they're on the move all the time. Donald Trump spending most of his weekends at Mar-a-Lago. That's $3.3 million a pop. It costs about $142,000 an hour to fly Air Force One. Uh, so all these trips to Mar-a-Lago ain't cheap. Uh, when he goes to Bedminster, New Jersey, ain't cheap. Plus, there's Trump Tower. He's not, He hasn't been to Trump Tower, but Melania lives there. I was in New York uh, last uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, and I walked by. Trump Tower, just on my way to the Apple store. I couldn't believe it. It was like being around the White House, the security there. You wouldn't believe the number of... And he wasn't there, and she wasn't there. I don't, she may have been. I don't know. But 
you couldn't believe the number of uh, police vehicles, vans, all kinds of special security equipment and police officers uh, walking around Trump Tower. So you add Mar-a-Lago, Bedminster, New Jersey now, Trump Tower and the White House, all those properties uh, to protect, and again, this extended family, and everywhere they go, even on business trips, the family has Secret, secret Service protection. Uh, Donald Trump and his brother, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric, have visited on business trips for the Trump empire. Dubai, Scotland, Ireland, the Dominican Republic, and Canada. On every one of those business trips, they have had Secret Service protection uh, for for themselves and and uh, and their employees on that tri- on, on that trip. I mean the whole the whole uh, business business trip. You and I are paying for it. Uh, here's another example: Melania Barron and the president's younger daughter Tiffany, Tiffany recently visited Chelsea Piers in uh, Manhattan. While they were there, there were 14 Secret Service vehicles parked outside and all those agents uh, with them. Eric Trump and his, and his wife, Lara, and their two beagles, their kids too, went to Aspen, Colorado for a little um, spring ski break. 100 Secret Service agents went with them to Aspen, Colorado. Right. So you've got a big family. They're always on the move. They're doing their business deals. They, they have to, they've got so many different properties. That adds up to, again, so far, uh, so far for this 100 days, $30 million. And that's just going to go up, 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 and up. Uh, and finally, of course, we saw, I know you talked about this uh, with Peter Friday and yesterday, uh, the Republicans committing, I think, political suicide uh, with this health care bill, which uh, is dead on arrival in the Senate. Not one single Republican senator supports it. Uh, but, you know, the I think the strongest voice out there, and we've talked about this too, was Jimmy Kimmel uh, and his newborn son with a heart condition. Jimmy Kimmel can afford uh, to have all the health care that that kid needs and the operation that he needs uh, for his, his sake. But Jimmy Kimmel is pointing out, boy, this every why should I be why should only rich people like me have access to the best of health care? This is what we're in America. Everybody should have health care like this, uh, access to health care like this. That's what Obamacare provided. So Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Jimmy was back on the show last night uh, after paternity leave uh, and after putting out this emotional, very, very inspiring message. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana, joined Jimmy Kimmel last night, and they talked about what should be the new Jimmy Kimmel rule for health care. Pretty basic. The Jimmy Kimmel test, I think, should be no family should be denied medical care, emergency or otherwise, because they can't afford it. Can that be the Jimmy Kimmel test? Is that oversimplifying it? Hey, man, you're on the right track. And if that's as close as we get, that works great in government. How about that, right? That's a good test. No family. Let's hear it again, that test. No family should be denied medical care because they can't afford it. 
the Jimmy Kimmel test. The Jimmy Kimmel test, I think, should be no family should be denied medical care, emergency or otherwise, because they can't afford it. Can that be the Jimmy Kimmel test? You know what? They put that in, put that out there, and pass that through the House and the Senate. We'd be a hell of a lot better off. A so, late night TV talk host with the with the health care plan. Yeah, there it is. Did a better job than uh, Paul Ryan did in <laughs> eight years. <laughs> now, what's happening on the home front? Lots of town halls with members of Congress uh, out of uh, town. And the town hall project is uh, kicking in to make sure that people know about where these town halls are and that they show up with the right message. Uh, we've got a founder of the Town Hall Project joining us next here on The Bill Press Show to tell us all about it. Had he stayed in Manhattan, the disruption would have been far greater than being in New Jersey. Uh, the bottom line is the president is the president no matter where he goes, and he doesn't get to control uh, the level of costs and security that may come along with that. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go now uh, on a uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, May 9. Great to be back with you. The Bill Press Show with me, Bill Press, live uh, from coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., and we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women Day in and day out to keep our federal agencies running, uh, not only here in Washington, D.C., but all around the country. Under the leadership of President J. David Cox, check out their uh, website, afge.org. We uh, salute them for the good work and thank them for the support of the program. Congress happens to be out of town. Not that they deserve another break. They just keep taking them. Um, come back and work for a week and then go off for two weeks. Not a bad job. We pay them a lot of money for it, and they get nothing done. What they're supposed to do while they're out of town is maybe have some town halls. Yesterday was a very interesting one up in New York State uh, where John Faso, Republican, didn't show up for a town hall. So a neighboring member of Congress, a Democrat, Sean Patrick Maloney, decided uh, he would fill in for him. Hey, listen, I have a question for you. I'm Representative Sean Patrick Maloney. Where the heck is your congressman? He's hiding after voting for that Obama repeal last week. So the town halls are up and running, and the town hall project is uh, maybe busier than ever. Jimmy Dahman is the founder of the town hall project who joins us back in studio this morning. Hey, Jimmy, nice to see you. Great to be back. Uh, congratulations. You had a big run with the... Uh, uh, what, what was the your, your take on the House town halls, the congressional town halls? Yeah, yeah. The first, first round, if you will. So the first round um, we saw, like, from February through April recess, just, you know, thousands and thousands of people showing up uh, to these events across the country. Again, it doesn't matter what district or what state, just people yeah. showing up concerned about... Uh, the primary issue was health care in, in the majority of these uh, town halls across the country. And then, um, you know, we heard a lot of like great personal stories, um, folks who said, you know, 
Um, I think in Florida, Gus Bilirakis, one of his constituents said, you know, if this bill passes, you know, I'll die. I voted for you. I'm not a Democrat. I'm one of your constituents. Um, you know, I think in, in Iowa, there was a farmer that, you know, pleaded to Grassley, Senator Grassley, like about this, this bill um, and what it could do to him in, in rural Iowans. And, and I think those stories, I think, had an impact. Yeah. And Congress came back and they realized if they wanted to pass this bill, they were going to have to do it before the next recess. So that's, I think, why the process the last couple of weeks was so rushed and they threw on some amendments where it didn't wait for a score and just tried to get it out there before they had to answer to their constituents again. All right. So the big question is, how much did you pay these people to show up? <laughs> we do not pay protesters. Um, I think uh, that claim, we, we've heard it less and less lately. So I think people are starting to realize that this is a, an, an organic movement and these are their constituents and these are the people that uh, voted them into the office. So they're going to have to uh, answer their questions. I, I think everybody has backed away from that claim except Donald Trump, right? Uh, yeah. He yeah. Keeps, he keeps tweeting it out, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, I, it, you know, I will reiterate that these are organic and, and folks just uh, showing up everywhere. All right, but what role does the town hall project play with these getting people there? Yeah. So, um, Historically, these events are just incredibly difficult to find. Sometimes, you know, they'll be posted a day or two ahead of time. Sometimes they'll be sent to a special list so that they can draw a friendly crowd. I think with Rod Blum's town hall in Iowa yesterday, you had to RSVP in advance and you had to, you know, show ID. And some of them, you have to sign up for a raffle. There's a lot of walls that, that members put around these events to try to, mm-hmm. you know, make a crowd as friendly as possible. And, and we just try to open up that process and make it accessible for everyone who wants to ask a question or have their voice heard. Well, Rod Blum may have tried to keep it a secret, but uh, he didn't succeed. A lot of people not happy with his vote showed up. Here, uh, here's what it sounded like in the hall. Uh, yeah, he could hardly get a word in there. The crowd, uh, uh, do, I don't know whether they were chanting do your job, but that's what they, were, they had been chanting in the last round of town hall. Obamacare saved my wife is what the, the man there at the end said. Is that what he said? Yep. And, uh, and um, Rod Blum, he, he dismi- <coughs> dismisses these people, of course. Obviously, probably 96% of them are Democrats. And, uh, you know, there's so much misinformation about the health care bill. Uh, I don't think there's much information about the health care bill. There are a lot, a lot of lies being told about what the health care bill would do, like lower premiums, you know, lower deductibles, cover everybody with pre-existing conditions, uh, you know. Uh, uh, but this this idea that these people are all Democrats does it matter? I mean, if 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 they and their families are going to lose their health care coverage, that's going to impact Democrats and Republicans. It's not just Democrats who are not happy with this bill. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the the, the polling, I mean, it was, what, 17 percent before they tacked on a couple other unpopular amendments. I think it's yeah. it's pretty uh, I think constituents across the board, independents, Republicans uh, have some some real concerns about this bill. And, um, you know, they're showing up to make sure that uh, the, the people that voted for this hastily before they got back, uh, they're now they're being held accountable. What so I want to come back for a second before we move on to some of these Senate town halls. What so how do you find out about them and how do you get the word out? It's townhallproject.com, by the way, and so I guess everybody yeah. ought to check it out. So so again, what is the process by which you alert People. Yeah, absolutely. We have a large grassroots team of, of volunteers that, um, you know, research these events and sign up for email lists and follow these these congressmen on, on social media. And 
uh, call offices and make sure that we compile all these events to, to get them on our website. And on our website, there's also an opportunity to sign up for our email list, and then we send out alerts. So I think you know even the most staunch uh, activist or somebody who's super engaged in their community can miss an event when they pop up you know 24 hours ahead of time yeah. on like a, a random weekday night. So what we do is as soon as we get input on the website, we send out email alerts to everyone who has a zip code in that district so that uh, they can they can uh, be aware of these upcoming events and if they're and any. if people go to your website and put in their zip code or whatever right you can tell them yep it'll it'll what lead district they live in and and what may be coming up in with their district absolutely so if you type in your zip code it'll it'll let you know uh, where the closest town hall is who your reps are. Uh, it'll have their contact information, so if they don't have events, you can call them and ask them why they're not uh, holding public events. I think uh, this recess, out of the 217 Republicans who voted yes on uh, the AHCA, only 16 of them currently have public events scheduled. Uh, so odds are, if you live in one of those districts, you're going to have to call them and ask them why they're not holding one of these events. Um, but yeah, you can look that up, um, and you can find information about you know local offices, um, places where you can you know talk to staff members and things. Now, like do that you encourage well. people to go to Democrat, Democrat uh, town halls uh, held by Democratic members as well? So we post uh, we post all the events for both members of Congress, Democrat or Republican. We encourage everyone uh, you know as part of our mission to get involved, talk to your members, engage in dialogue, be active. And, you know, if you think your congressman's doing a good job or voting the right way or doing the right thing, I think it's important that you go and you tell them that, too. Um, make sure that uh, they keep keep it up. And do you tell them what to say? So we don't. We just encourage folks, um, you know, to, you know, talk about what's important to them, you know, talk about what how legislation or, or things that they're considering or doing can personally impact you. Um, there are a lot of great partners uh, who, who use our site who put out, you know, in, mm -hmm. uh, information on, on, you know, on policy. We just wanted to make sure that people are involved and, and have that opportunity to, to speak up about, you know, I think there's any number of issues that are important to folks that we've heard, you know, from obviously healthcare to immigration to, you know, I think a lot of folks are interested in uh, impartial investigations into the administration for us ties. So anything across the board, I encourage you to get out there and speak up. And Well, on the healthcare issue, and that is the main the, still the main focus, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably the thing that uh, that and talking about maybe mostly. immigration too. But yeah. uh, on on healthcare, there are and, and I we we probably you and I should acknowledge there are other organizations as you just pointed out that are very active. Families USA, I know, has been very involved in 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 helping get people out to some of these town halls. I don't know what other organizations you're working with. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of different organizations that have been been pushing folks and you know using our counter and things like that. I know Center for American Progress has been yeah they right. one of those. They they have been posting you know how many people are going to lose health insurance by each district and put together handy resources and things like that. So when folks come with us with policy questions or things like that, we just direct them to other folks and just let them know where their closest town hall is. Yeah. Um, do you ask people to get back in touch with you after the town hall? To yeah, so we encourage people to uh, you know email us. You can email us at info at town hall project, or you can tweet at us at town hall project on Twitter at our Facebook page, which is also under the same name. And we just encourage folks to you know if they have video or or, or um, pictures or stories, it's you know I think those are the things that kind of elevate. Uh, past into, into the news cycle. So if you have videos of, of somebody telling a, a personal story or uh, I think that happened in Idaho the other day when uh, somebody told their story and Rep Labrador said that uh, nobody dies oh, from yeah. lack of access to health care. Oh, yeah. We talked about that earlier, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. How uninformed can you be, right? Yeah. It seems like an insensitive remark. <laughs> <laughs>
are mandating people on Medicaid except dying. You are making a no. No one wants people. anybody to die. You know that that line is so indefensible. Nobody dies because they don't have access to health care. Nobody died because they don't have access to health care. Good Lord, run that guy out of town on a rail. And the idea that he would be voting on this, uh, something that impacts one-sixth of the e American economy or one-fifth of the American economy, and you know, millions and millions and millions of people, if you add them up, those with pre-existing conditions, those on Medicaid, those who are now getting subsidies, those who get health insurance for the first time in their lives for themselves and their families, all of those people negatively impacted by this bill I mean, one estimate that I saw, some 45, 50,000 people, it's probably conservative, a, a year die in this country, the wealthiest yeah. on the planet, because they don't have health insurance. Yeah. And they get so sick when they finally maybe just go to the emergency room, it's too late. And he would say something like that, unbelievable. Yeah. But, but representative, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of many people who voted for this bill, yeah. you know, not knowing. Um, how about, I'm, I'm just curious about these town halls. Uh, do you also, um, obviously, the media shows up at a lot of these. Do you have anything to do with that? No, so we... Uh, you don't, you're not alerting so, the media? So we, if I, you are, that's fine. We, we thank you for, for your help. But We know when we first put up our Google Doc, that was one thing we, we didn't didn't realize initially is how many reporters and things were also missing this resource who you know, were yeah, covering right. Congress, no, no. who didn't yeah. know didn't know where these things were going to happen or where events were going to be. So one thing that's been, um, you know, an, an unintended consequence that we didn't even realize would happen is, you know, reporters reaching out and asking, you know, where where these events are going to be uh, so that they can kind of get a pulse of, of what's going on in the country. Um, so that's been been pretty cool. And then, again, some of the stories that folks are, you know, taking on their cell phone cameras and things like that are, are being elevated. Um, I think there was the one in New York last week where kind of uh, – where the woman who was a, I think she was an Air Force veteran who made a passionate case for single payer health care, and then that, mm. that video went viral and, and was everywhere. So it's a mix of you know the news coming up from the grassroots and then and then reporters and, and different folks traveling to to these different events. So that's been is uh, Jimmy Kimmel going to be showing up at any uh, town halls? <laughs> we haven't heard of that yet, but he uh, should be invited to every town hall, right? <laughs> I thought his his message was so powerful. Yeah. No. <laughs> It, it it really really was, um, and you know, the, with all the creativity happening, and and you know, the adopted district and members going to, I think you know, Ruben Gallego is also doing that. I think tonight in Martha McSally's oh, district, right? I think. Uh, so I, showing up in other districts where their representative isn't isn't listening to them, they yeah. are uh, uh, going to other districts to answer questions that constituents have that aren't aren't currently getting answered. So that's that's happening there. We've seen. Um, that's a great move. I know Andy Slavitt is, is doing a couple of teletown halls. I think he's going to an event in Arizona this week, too. So folks are getting creative. So maybe Jimmy Kimmel, somebody can reach out to him. We can do a town hall okay. somewhere. So in a sense, look, the House is not going to reconsider this vote, right? So, like, uh, the water's already under the bridge in, in terms of the House. House town halls, it's still important to go and express your um, disagreement, your, mm -hmm. your your frustration and dissatisfaction with the with the fact for those people who supported the bill, um, the, the the repeal. But now the action moves to the Senate. Do do senators hold town halls even? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> not many of them, huh? Not 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 as many as we would like. Obviously, I think um, 
for all of Congress in April recess, I think it was like 20% of the Republicans and like 30%, 35% total of members had town hall events, um, including both chambers. Um, but, you know, there are there are some exceptions. I know, you know, Ron yeah. Wyden has and, and Jeff Merkley in Oregon have them, you know, right. super regularly. Uh, Tom Cotton's actually had a few. Lindsey Graham's had a few. So there will be uh, town halls on the Senate side. We are, you know, encouraging um, folks to call their senators to make sure that they're holding events as well. Um, I think I think right now uh, a lot of the senators are actually looking at these House events in the immediate aftermath of the vote to kind of gauge what public reaction is like to to this bill. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, holding reps accountable, however you feel about the the bill um, this week and before the Senate starts taking up for consideration are going to play big into, you know, what they're thinking and how they vote. Um, and then, yeah, uh, they're having events, too. I think uh, there's a they're not on recess this week, but uh, Memorial Day at the end of the month, uh, Senate will be on recess as well as the House. Um, so you'll likely be seeing more events with senators and make sure that you're calling if they don't have them scheduled yet and make sure that they get them on the books and, and make sure that they know how they you feel before they start the, the process of taking up this bill. Right. Uh, because, I mean, in the Senate, it's almost um, they're starting from scratch, right? But they have learned a lot, one would think, particularly about public reaction to to the debate in the House. And, and I, the, from what we've heard so far... There certainly doesn't seem to be a lot of support, even among Republicans in the Senate, for the AHCA or whatever they're calling this. Yeah. And again, if you look at those two members specifically who I know have had more town halls than most of their colleagues, I mean, there were uh, events in, in February and April where Tom Cotton heard heard loud and clear from constituents in the, you know, the deep red state of Arkansas how much uh, they relied on, you know, Medicaid expansion or these subsidies to help pay for their insurance and, and what it meant to them. And then I know Lindsey Graham did that as well. Yeah. And they're two of the first people on the Republican caucus to say, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to look at this. Um, you know, it might end up different. And I think that's because they're, you know, listening to their constituents a little bit more than most. All right. So if you want to think about um, the resistance, broadly speaking, right, um, this is part of the resistance, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think I think folks um, folks look at us as part of the resistance. We're just trying to find ways to give people who are you know frustrated, may have questions, the opportunity to you know we saw all these energy in these marches and these these protests right after the inauguration, and folks now want to get involved you know locally and in their communities, and hopefully we're providing an outlet for them to do so. Uh, all right, so 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 that's my point. Uh, I just got back from a quick trip to uh, to Los Angeles where I, I went out there Sunday night for a dinner with the a group called Death Penalty Focus. Uh, it's an organization that's been around for a long time, opposing against the death penalty, working for repeal of the death penalty in California, which I strongly support, mm-hmm. uh, led by Mike Farrell, the great actor from MASH. Uh, Sunday's dinner honored Bernie Sanders. And he was there, and uh, I sat at the table with him, and Joan Baez, um, uh, both great Americans. And we, we talked a lot about the resistance and about this energy uh, that's out there. And it, it really, I find it so exciting because there's like, it's not a top-down movement at all. Yeah. I mean, no. who is the leader of the resistance? There isn't any. No. Who's the leader of the Democratic Party today? I would argue there isn't any. But the resistance, Women's March, the Climate March, the science march, you know, the town halls is just uh, just alive and well. So my que- so 
uh, we we know how the, like the women's march got started, right? This woman in Hawaii just tweeted out to a few friends on Twitter, right? We ought to do a march and look what happened, right? A million people show up in Washington. How did the town hall project get started? <laughs> um, where, it, who the hell are you, and where, <laughs> and where'd you come from? <laughs> um, I, I think it was similar. I think it was similar. It was, it was right around inauguration time. Um, you know, figuring out what we can do, how we can get more people involved in the process. I'm a uh, organizer by trade. Work issue and electoral campaigns, um, and you know that's something. Where that, were you working at the time? So I I was not I I most recently worked for Hillary for the last uh, last two years up until uh, oh, okay. November. Were you in Brooklyn then? I was not. I was not. I was in Ohio, Colorado, Arizona. Oh, okay. You're an organized field organizer for for the Clinton campaign. Correct. All right. And out of that. And then you know after around the inauguration, figuring out how we can just you know again get more people plugged in. I think you know me personally, I've, I'm you know pretty tuned in and and you know can't get off my Twitter feed, but I know a yeah. lot of friends and yeah. family who've never really paid much attention who are asking me, what can I do now? How can, can there something I can volunteer with? Where can I go? What can I do? Um, and so I got together with some friends and we started to research these. We put out an ask on our on our networks and got a bunch of people who were also fired up and uh, started researching these events, threw them on a Google Doc and thought our friends and family might use these and, and you know, go out and attend these events and ask questions. And uh, you know, I think the first night, Lynn Manuel Miranda and you know George Takai retweeted us, and then no, really, and then within a, a week, it was you know we were fielding requests from reporters and uh, people who had uh, volunteered uh, to to help us. Megan, uh, who's our one of our lead web developers on the West Coast, reached out and asked if she could help us build a website, and so just kind of snowballed from there. And then just figuring out ways since then to both. Uh, I think our mission is twofold. One is get as many people to events as possible, get as many people plugged into the process and asking questions and, you know, becoming engaged. And then the second is um, encouraging members to hold these events and helping constituents hold members responsible for doing these. Do you uh, envision moving beyond town halls? I mean, I guess at some point, you know, you've You've gotten accomplished or gotten sucked everything you can out of the town halls, right? <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of upkeep, so it's, it's still uh, taking a good bit of our time. But we're trying to think of some creative ways to continue in in those two kind of lanes. And and one thing that we've explored that you know down the road, if we have resources, things like that, we would look into maybe doing uh, state legislatures or, or local uh, local events, just ways that to provide people more opportunities for this local engagement. Um, but uh, we'd love to love to get there one day. But I think right now we got our hands full with uh, getting the the members of Congress currently to to hold events and getting them up quickly. Couple of Twitter comments on this subject. We're on Twitter at BP Show. Follow us at BP Show. And Brogan says, I would attend a town hall if Senator Toomey held one in Pennsylvania. <laughs> He's no, afraid to hold one in Pennsylvania. But no, hey, such stay tuned. Luck. Uh, 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 is it Amy? Did you say Allie that? Watkins will be here at eight o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry, no. The the tweet was from oh yeah sorry that's Ann Brogan Ann yep. Ann uh, Ann go to townhallproject.com and stay plugged in and uh, they'll inform you when Senator <laughs> Toomey finally finally agrees to have one and we're making the point on Twitter it's not just important to show up to Republican town halls to fight them show up to support Democrats at their town halls too so uh, think about that very very important right yeah. I mean we we often forget. We're so busy screaming at the people that we don't like or disagree with, right? That it's it's important to give a a good pat on the back, right? Yeah, um, I think it's important to let them know that we appreciate. You know, if if you think it's a, they're doing a good job of keeping up the fight, then make sure you let them know that too. Yeah. 
I got to tell you, uh, I really hope you can get into the state legislatures because that is so important. We've talked so much about reapportionment um, that we've lost 950 um, state legislative mm-hmm. seats over the last eight years. Governorships, we lost maybe you know 15 or 20 of those. Uh, we've got to get the state legislatures back. That's where so much uh, of the resistance is going to be centered to the Trump policies over the ne- over the next four years. And it's also so important in terms of reapportionment, getting those people there. And, you know, so many, whether it's, you know, climate change or Medicaid, health care, uh, all of the education, all of those issues are being decided at the state level. So uh, I know that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Right. But if you can plug people into that and expand into that area, I think it'd be doing even greater work than you're doing today. So thanks so much, Jimmy. Again, it's townhallproject.com. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for your impact so far, and keep giving them hell. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to be back with Ali Watkins from BuzzFeed uh, to talk about... uh, Sally Yates had something to say yesterday about Michael Flynn. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, no matter how hard he tries, Donald Trump can't blame Barack Obama for Michael Flynn. Obama told Trump not to hire him. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Tuesday, May 9. Uh, Good to see you and good to be back with you after a quick trip to the West Coast for a big death penalty dinner on uh, anti-death penalty dinner on uh, Sunday. Uh, honoring Bernie Sanders and Joan Baez, a great movement there underway in California for some time, some and someday will succeed in abolishing the death penalty in California. Good to be back with you with so much going on, a lot to catch up on, the big health care vote last week, which you and I haven't had a chance to really to get into, um, because Peter Ogburn, I was out, Peter Ogburn was in for a couple of days, but you covered it well with him. But now we've got all the Russian connection is back in full force with testimony yesterday uh, by Sally Yates and James Clapper uh, front of, in front of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, lots going on. We'll bring you up to date on all of it. And get your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Want to hear from you about the news of the day. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., joined this hour by Ali Watkins, national security correspondent today for Politico, uh, most recently from BuzzFeed. Hi, Ali. It's nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Nice Thank to be here. Thank you. Um, you know, busy days, huh? 
Busy, busy days. Yes. Um, Got to run fast to keep up with it all. You do. Yeah. yeah. I think I had like eight hours of unemployment somewhere in there. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like now back in the newsroom and hitting the ground running. Slacker. So. Yeah, I know. I know. What am I thinking? All right. We'll jump right into it with Ali and with all of you. But first... This is the Peter Corn here. Yes, indeed. Just a couple other stories making news. Now, this... You have to hear the whole story. All right, all right, the whole story. Because there's a new study that shows that men have larger brains than women, on average. They took an MRI scan of almost 900 men and women and found that male brains are around 14% larger than the average woman. Let me guess, there's a whole bunch of useless matter in our brains compared to theirs. You're not wrong. The, the, the no, I was just going to say, big does not mean... Better. Bigger yeah, does yeah. not mean better, especially in this case. The study found that women use their brains much, much more efficiently than men. So men have bigger brains, but there's a lot of useless nonsense kicking around up there, whereas women, they, they use their brain uh, more efficiently on average, according to this new study, which was led by Erasmus University. So there you go. That's a nice intro. Yeah, Thanks, right? Peter. All yeah. right. Yeah, you know. Just want to make sure nobody, like, you know, jumped in on the whole fact that men have bigger brains. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean squat. Uh, we're going to have another Trump here in Washington, D.C. It's not going to be Melania Trump. It's not going to be Barron Trump. It's going to be Tiffany Trump. We found out yesterday that the 23-year-old Tiffany Trump will be attending law school right here in Washington, D.C. She's going to be going to Georgetown in the fall. Just what we need. Yeah. Another Trump in Washington, D.C. She toured. And Melania and Barron are moving down, too. Eventually. At least reportedly. Yeah, but. they've put it off as long as they could. They She had toured the Harvard Law School earlier, uh, as well as Columbia and New York University, but she chose Georgetown. I'm not sure. Do you think she'll be doing any concerts? You know, she's a pop singer, too. I'd like to go see Tiffany Trump in concert. I forgot she was a... Uh, at the Verizon Center? A pop singer. Yeah, I'm sure she'd fill up the Verizon Center. <laughs> <laughs> That's mean. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not. By the way, and, and one final story. This is a follow-up. Trump would force everybody who works at the yeah. White House to go. I yeah, mean, true. Would, oh, yeah. I told you the story, I think it was last week or the week before, about Simon, the continental giant rabbit, the three-foot-long rabbit. Yeah. That was, oh, yeah. this story was so sad. It's so sad. They put the, the rabbit on a plane on a United Airlines, I know, I know. and the rabbit did not make it to its owner uh, alive. It died. Well, So now the lawyers for the family have said that it looks like the rabbit might have been accidentally placed in a freezer by a United Airlines employee Jeez. and was left there oh, where it died. God. And then they cremated the rabbit so no autopsy can be done. Oh. Mm, that is sad. Uh, I went to, I did a round trip to, on United to uh, the West Coast and back, and uh, <clears throat> I was not dragged out of my seat. All right. Uh, no. No broken and, nose. And nobody else on the plane was he. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right. Good to be with you today. Good to be back with you on a Tuesday, Tuesday, May 9. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital and uh, reaching out to you coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Important you know how to find us because basically we're everywhere uh, on YouTube, on Free Speech TV, on WCPT. Uh, AM and FM out there in Chicagoland and uh, our podcast 
enjoyed our podcast uh, every day, and more and more of you do every day. Uh, you go to iTunes, look for the Bill Press Show podcast, or just go to BillPressShow.com, and, and we'll direct you, uh, link you right to the podcast. And uh, as of just about a week ago, you can now find us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com, where in addition to everything else we do um, every day, we will be posting very special content, interviews, commentary, um, you name it. Um, we can get out of the studio is the bit. We, we interviewed yeah. Greta at, in her Gret- studio at MSNBC. Up, up right now is Greta Van Susteren over at MSNBC, so we don't like on some special stuff there. Uh, go to patreon.com slash bpshow uh, and sign up for very... They're all different kinds of tiers. Different kinds you of could, tiers. You could ship in a dollar if you want. You could ship in five bucks, gets you all the content. You could ship in a little bit more if you want like a video stream that we're going to be doing later this month. So, yeah, go check it out. Yeah, Patreon.com slash BP Show. We're working on a special project there, the making of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, and interviews with his campaign manager and some people around him and my own story about my involvement in getting helping get the uh, Bernie uh, Sanders campaign going. So, anyhow, check out Patreon.com slash BP Show. And now let's get right to it with uh, Ali Watkins. So, Sally Yates came up before the Senate yesterday uh, and in her testimony was some pretty damning stuff about her warning to the uh, Trump White House. Yeah, I mean, I think this has been one of the most highly anticipated Russia testimonies, not least of which because she was kind of kept from testifying the last time. So yeah. it was it was pretty crazy stuff yesterday. So she says, um, you know, that uh, she found out about this, and she went right down to the White House, called the White House counsel, and says, I got something so important, uh, we can't talk about it on the phone. Got to see you. He says, come on down. And uh, she said she laid out exactly what was going on. We walked the White House counsel, who also had an associate there with him, through General Flynn's underlying conduct, the contents of which I obviously cannot go through with you today because it's classified. But she pointed out, just to continue there, Jamie, that um, what she realized after looking at the transcript of his conversations with the Russian ambassador, that they were, in fact, talking sanctions. So he had been compromised. We believed that General Flynn was compromised with respect to the Russians. So then, Ali, uh, what happened is the White House counsel calls her back the next day and says, hey, uh, I got a question. Can you come back? I got a question about what you told me yesterday. She goes back and he says, my question is, so why does it matter if he was lying? I mean, unbelievable. And she points out, you know, you got a problem here, dude. Not only did we believe that the Russians knew this, but that they likely had proof of this information. And that created a compromise situation, a situation where the national security advisor essentially could be blackmailed by the Russians. Yeah, that's why it was important, right? And then Trump keeps him on the job for 18 days. What's going on? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm just listening to you lay this out again. It, it was incredible it's to actually stunning, hear her. It? Yeah, to kind of walk through. And there's so many other questions that come off of that testimony. Um, I mean, Something as, as simple as, like, why was he kept on for 18 days? And, and just this notion of, like, how – how do, and, and I, I think what the, what the question that, for me, kind of comes out of all this, the big question is, is this mishandling 
due to inexperience, which I actually think it probably is, or is this mishandling due to like actual nefariousness? Um, and I think at the kind of what with what Yates laid out yesterday, like at the very least, for the White House counsel to be asking like, why is it a big deal? Is an indicator that they were clearly in over their heads with this thing. Mm-hmm. And then we learned yesterday that in the first meeting between Donald Trump and Barack Obama, two days after the election, in the Oval Office, um, Obama, who had had his own experience with Michael Flynn when Flynn was head of the director of uh, director of uh, DIA D- Defense I- Intelligence Defense Agency. Intelligence Agency. Um, and had not performed well there, and Obama fired him. But he knew that Flynn was an advisor to Donald Trump, and so it's been confirmed, and the White, even the Trump White House has confirmed that Barack Obama told Donald Trump, do not hire Michael Flynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the warning signs were clearly there. I mean, even, even before any of this Obama yeah. administration stuff happened, like there were people within the Pentagon who were kind of like, listen, this is weird that Flynn is behaving this way on a campaign trail. Um, so the the signposts were there. The natural question is, okay, why'd they wait so long? And the answer is presumably, well, they waited until the public finally figured out about it. Yeah. It, uh, it, it broken by the Washington Post, as I recall. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, he wasn't blackmailed by the Russians, um, but the Washington Post put out all these stories that did ultimately pressure him, pressure the White House to get rid of him. It's not... Um, unlikely that had the Washington Post not reported this, he could still be on the job, right? I think that's a fair question to ask, absolutely, given the way that they that Yates says that they handled it. Right. Um, is he now part, do we know, part of the FBI investigation? So he was, I think we reported it at BuzzFeed a month or so ago, two months ago, that he was under active FBI, or he had been under FBI investigation. Whether he was under FBI investigation, like specifically Michael Flynn, or whether he was part of this broader FBI investigation into the Trump stuff, um, there was at some point the FBI was investigating Flynn. Um, And I had actually heard that um, the Bureau was prepared to close their investigation into Flynn until this Kisilyak call and this transcript kind of came to light and there was all this issue with Farah. So he, what's the prospect? I mean, could he face criminal charges? Do He's not off the hook. Yet, I mean, he's right? clearly worried about it because he's asking for immunity. Yeah, right. right. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> on his mind. Um, I think from my understanding, and obviously I'm not a lawyer, um, the FARA issue is the most legally problematic. Um, what is that? The Foreign Agent Registration Act. Oh, I think the I have fact it right. that the one, he... yeah, as a private citizen discussing sanctions with you know a foreign government. Um, but now, I mean, and then I there's think... also the 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 speech that he failed to report the income from the. Yes, the there's Paid the, by RT the RT this. speech. There's the Turkish lobbying issue. Mike Flynn has a lot of pitfalls at the moment that I think he needs to make sure he is fully discussing with his lawyer. Um, but there's also this kind of added curveball, which is something that I keep coming back to. This question: so you have the FARA issue with Flynn of discussing the sanctions with Russia, but you also have this collusion question. Um, which Mm -hmm. could be a separate Mm -hmm. criminal issue from the FARA issue. And 
the question that I think a lot of us had before the Comey testimony two months ago, as far as collusion with between the Trump camp and the Russians, is that there was no evidence of active and informed collusion um, yet, or at least like on Flynn's behalf, you know, that he was actively working as an agent of the Russian government to like mole into the Trump campaign. But Comey said something interesting at that hearing two months ago where he said that collusion, you can be an unknowing agent like you could be in layman's terms a useful idiot and still be guilty of collusion so is that something that's now on the table with flynn given this whole all this entire experience relayed by yates so i guess the bigger picture here is uh tell me if i'm wrong that the russian as much as the trump white house and trump himself want to say there's nothing to this russian connection and democrats just keep talking about it because they can't except the fact that they lost the last election, and this issue basically is is a non-issue. The Russian connection isn't going away, is it? No, I mean, that's, it, it's weird because it ebbs and flows now. You know, yeah. we have yeah, like, sure. uh, you know, we had the month but, after the inauguration, it was a huge deal, and then it went away, and you know, sometimes it'll be a healthcare week. But this has been the pervasive issue, and it's, the problem is that it's not just a Flynn problem, you know, especially for the Trump White House, this is not just a Flynn issue. This is a, you know, you can't say that Manafort wasn't involved in the campaigns. Paul Manafort, it's Carter Page, it's Roger Stone, it's Jared Kushner. It's these, you know, this is not just a one-off issue. And I think it's going to keep following that. This is not going away. Right. And I think Democrats, I think, run a little bit of a risk of letting the Russia investigation become their Benghazi. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, with Benghazi, there were answers, pretty concrete answers. Everything was out in the open. They got the answers they were looking for pretty quickly. They just kept having hearing after hearing after hearing. Whereas I think with the Russia thing, it's so big and it's so wide ranging, and there are so many things that have been left unanswered that like you have to keep pursuing it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the challenge with the Russia investigation is that there's two real parts to it. The, the original part was just to basically go back and kind of look at the Obama administration's intelligence community and how the IC kind of handled everything. And then there's the other part of the Trump connection. So there's these two big parts. Yeah. Uh, and there are three, three at least, well, at least two ongoing investigations. Right? Yeah, two ongoing investigations and the FBI investigation. Yeah, I was counting the FBI and the Senate and the House. The how, I, you, we'll, yeah. we'll stick it in the pool <laughs> yeah. of like, credible investigations for what? The we next like 15 minutes, I know, right? we'll never, Whether they ever get there. Yeah. Whether they ever get their act together uh, or not. So at, at least it's not going to go away until we get the final reports from yeah, it, from I mean, those three sources. It's not going away. There has been, I think, an interesting shift that if Democrats well, are smart, they'll continue down this path. That you saw Feinstein say this week that she had seen no evidence of active mm -hmm. informed collusion between Trump and the Russians, which is actually a smart move because, yeah. frankly, everyone I talk to in the IC does not expect this to be the thing that fells right, Trump. Right. But it's still, like, I mean, you can, it brings the judgment of the Trump White House into question for sure. And a Clapper yesterday also clarified that the, the, the Trump people have been saying, oh, even James Clapper says there was no collusion. And he said yesterday, no, there was no collusion. I haven't seen the evidence of collusion, yeah. which is a different statement. Yeah, and Clapper is also, I, I think that there's this <coughs> assumption happening with the Trump White House that if he says he's seen no evidence of collusion, it means, oh, the Russia thing wasn't a big deal, like yeah, drop right. it. Even if there was no clear, direct, informed collusion between the Trump campaign and Moscow, it's still a issue. It's still a thing. Um, that you had 
just the notion that there was a national yeah. security advisor to the president under FBI investigation. I mean, that is enough of a thing that it needs to be paid attention to. Right. So uh, the Russian connection uh, continues, and we'll see. As you say, it ebbs and flows, but uh, it's back now for the for the moment, uh, at any rate. Uh, and the Republicans, I thought their attempts yesterday to turn this into, no, who leaked this to the Washington Post? That's the big story. And it's been their drumbeat for, I know. for months. Nobody paid any attention to it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, you have written about a Russian cybersecurity company mm-hmm. with doing business for the U.S. government? Yes. This, um, it's a crazy story. And, and the, part are, of it is. Are these the same people that hacked into the DNC? Or? No. No connection. Oh, okay. At least from nobody I've talked to has seen evidence of that yet. But there's, so there's this Moscow based company called Kaspersky. Um, that is a cybersecurity firm, and they run a very um, active PR campaign. You know, saying they aren't connected to the Russian government. They're run by a guy who um, had connections to the Russian Kaspersky, government. Kaspersky. Kaspersky. Um, but about two months ago, I started hearing all this concern from intelligence community officials saying that. Kaspersky is in the U.S. government computer systems, and there's concern that through third-party access agreements, they could the Russian government could be getting access to some of these systems. Um, and it doesn't. I don't think they know the extent to which that. What kind has of work happened. are they doing for? Oh, they they the run US like government. cyber infrastructure, like cybersecurity programs. I don't know antivirus stuff. I'm not. I'm not the cyber reporter, so I'm not. That's okay. Shira. She's great with that stuff. But, but why do? But why do we have to go to Russia to hire these people? You can f- hire an American firm to do this. I mean, that's certainly a question that they're asking, and not even just an American firm. It's just like, how did this company get? It's not only like, you know, a part of U.S. government infrastructure. It's been specifically approved by the General Services Administration to be used in official computer systems. It has contracts with the State Department. It's had contracts with the State Department, the Treasury Department. Um, and the intel world is freaking out about it right now, um, just about how they they may have been inadvertently allowing the Russian government to access U.S. systems without even knowing it. But are emails. I mean, it's hard to believe, right, that, <laughs> that U.S. agencies <laughs> – would sign a contract with a Russian cybersecurity firm to... Um, it's a little crazy. And know, one of yeah, these was signed in June crazy. of last year as this was all happening. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Kaspersky denies I mean, talk about this, inviting but... the enemy in, into your camp, you know? Yeah. Uh, because any... I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, too paranoid, but I, I think it's like in China, any... Russian company is a government company or it's got links to the government or it wouldn't exist. I mean, yeah, you have to you're I'm I'm constantly checking myself of like, am I being right? too I mean, paranoid? Am I looking, you know, am I yeah, just assuming yeah. too much here? But I think there's basically what how it was explained to me is that you have Kaspersky, you have a US government you have a GSA approved vendor and you have the US government. And generally the US government has gotten Kaspersky products through third party vendors. And what it doesn't sound like they were checking is the agreements between Kaspersky and these third party vendors of like what the vendor was allowing to be shared with Kaspersky and what Kaspersky was then allowing to be potentially allowed to be shared with the US or the with the Russian government. Um, so it's just this and the procurement process is a mess generally, obviously. Um, but it it there's certainly a lot of questions floating around the intel world right now. 
I, I was trying to remember the name of the guy, that, uh, the, the woman, it turns out, that Russian Roger Stone was talking to who hacked into um, something too. Remember? Oh, the Goosefer? Goosefer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, is Goosefer too the head of this firm? I don't think so. I don't, but I mean, they ha- it, there's so many questions about Kaspersky, and now that they're on U.S. systems, it's like the questions need to get answers. But GSA was not able to answer any of our questions. They said that Kaspersky is essentially so tangled in the procurement process and a part of so many, you know, other cyber products that the U.S. government uses, it's hard for them to get clear answers, which is also a concerning Jeez. answer. Yeah. Uh, at Politico, are you also going to be covering uh, covering national security issues? Yep, same beat, same everything, just a different newsroom. Uh, don't mean to throw you a curveball, but in that okay, in that, uh, <laughs> oh no, it's the front page of the Washington Post, not the New York Times, which I have in front of me. But uh, there's an article this morning. You may not have a chance to catch up on it yet, so that's why I want to. Okay. Uh, that the Trump administration, P- Pentagon, and the White House are seriously considering. Um, escalating the war against the Taliban in Afghanistan, going back to combat force troops, American combat forces in Afghanistan, basically re-upping the war in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I did not read the, full disclosure, I haven't read the whole story yet, but I did see it kind of come across my feed this morning. Um, I mean, this is huge, if true, right? Yeah, I mean, the... How many troops are we talking? Like, we're obviously Afghanistan has continued to be a very tenuous situation, and we've had people right. in combat there, and we've had people die in combat there fairly recently. Um, but what plan he, the Trump administration, is potentially exploring? I mean, there are so many questions. If you're going to send people back to Afghanistan, I think the American public is going to force you to answer a lot of questions, and I don't know that the Trump administration is prepared to do that, frankly. No. I mean, I, I don't think, yeah, I, I, the American people are not ready for an, another war, which is, mm. I mean, this is, it's been another ongoing, war. Yeah, it's just, but, you know, to, but bringing it back, re-upping. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, this is a war also that Barack Obama pledged to end uh, and, and failed to end and failed to end, left office with with Afghan with American troops still there mm. in a reduced capacity, and I believe out by next year, the original plan, whatever it was. But, yeah. but the Taliban has had a resurgence. Um, the Afghan army has, the Afghan has never, they've never stepped up to the plate and been able to handle their own affairs. Right? Yeah, the I Afghan mean, the U.S. Is, or the, is still the Afghan military. There. Right. And so now they've recognized the Taliban has come back so strongly that if, at least what I read, uh, and th- they believe that unless we get back on a war footing in Afghanistan, uh, the, the Taliban could take over. I mean, this is the same problem. It's the reason they call Afghanistan the graveyard of empires, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, it's we a... We never learned that lesson. And it's the no. it's a lesson the Obama administration didn't no. learn for three no. years, you know? And I think they And the Bush administration succeeded. before him didn't learn. So how many presidents or is the Afghan war going to just linger on and on and on? I mean, yeah. I mean, we saw this Taliban resurgence you know, start like three years ago and the Obama administration kind of continued just maintaining this status quo, I think, with the intention that they were they knew they were going to have to ultimately turn over this baton. Like they could not leave and they also could not send more people in. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I, like I said, I haven't read the full story, but is this a agenda yeah. that's being driven by the White House or the Pentagon? What's the plan moving forward? Um, because there is this communication disconnect between Trump and the Pentagon. Um, you know, it, he's allowing a lot of kind of bandwidth to the Pentagon to kind of operate 
um, not unilaterally, but certainly allowing more uh, decision-making power to um, to the Pentagon. So I'm curious where these plans are coming from, where this push is coming from. Is this internal White House stuff? Is this Pentagon-driven? Um, and how that all shakes out is going to be very important in public discourse, obviously. But, but you look you, you look back, and again, you, you, you cannot um, ignore um, the presence and the role of President Obama in all of this, but you know, when we started in 2009, um, we, we, we had ongoing war in Iraq, ongoing war in Afghanistan, his pledge to end both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but they're both still going on. And on top of that, now we have a war against ISIS. Which is technically extended by authority, the same authority as the Afghanistan. As and the Afghanistan, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, and now instead of winding down Afghanistan, we're going to re-up in Afghanistan. Which gets back to, I, I was just going to go to that question. There are still, uh, Donald Trump, as Barack Obama, is citing George Bush's um, um, authority AMF. for the use mm-hmm. of military force, AUMF, as all the authority that they need to mm-hmm. keep restarting these wars or starting new wars in the Middle East. At one point, is Congress going to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, right? <laughs> I, hey, I, don't, I think a lot a of us have been asking that question. I don't know when Congress actually, you know, as Cong- when is the last time Congress stood up and said, hey, wait a minute? Because um, they've consistently um, World shown- World War II, yeah, as, as a I mean, of fact. Yeah. They've consistently proven unwilling to deal with this issue of the of you know, figuring out new authorization for the use of military force. As I'm thinking over this in my head, there's also the logistical question of that a lot of these bases, like most of our war footing- quote unquote, in Afghanistan is gone or dilapidated or a shadow of itself. You know, like bases have been abandoned, infrastructure mm-hmm. abandoned. Equipment's been moved out. A lot of that. Yeah. Yet. Has well, been. But, I, yeah. I mean, has been moved out, has been given to the Afghan army. I mean, it means moving it all back. <laughs> yeah. In. It's a big undertaking. Huge. Right. Uh, but I, I would hope that from you know Rand Paul on the right and Barbara Lee on the left, that there would be uh, a lot of hell raising in Congress um, before we could get back on a war footing in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very stunned stunned by that story. Uh, and the other national security threat on your screen, as well as everybody else's, is North Korea, uh, which is troubling to the extent that it seems that the only kind of message that we get from the White House is that they would consider some military action against North Korea, which I believe would be catastrophic. It's like bluster versus bluster, essentially. I think, and I'm trying to remember when there was something floated about diplomatic solutions at some point, though I don't remember what corner of the U.S. government that came from, Um, but you know, the, the whole if they bomb us, we'll bomb them back. I mean, that kind of is a fundamental misunderstanding of what kind of leader Kim Jong-un is. Well, they don't right? have a bomb that could reach us. But, you know, if they do a missile strike or if they yeah. test a nuclear weapon, whatever, uh, we're going to fire some. I mean, Rex Tillerson, Sean Spicer, Donald Trump, they all say military options on the table for North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which case, we know that that guy is crazy enough that if. It wouldn't be like the president of Syria who would just complain but not do anything about it. I mean, the notion of restraint doesn't appear to really exist. I mean, historically, it does not appear to be a part of Kim Jong-un's repertoire. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the North Korea 
thread is the interesting one because I think it's the one that the Obama administration, I mean, they kind of eventually got their stuff together on Russia, although it was, you know, uh, daily dollar short. But the North Korea threat is something I don't know that they ever really had to deal with. Um, and I don't know that there's a lot of, you know, planning in place or, or government preparation in place to deal with that. And the Trump administration is having to scramble. Uh, just back quickly again, uh, you can follow Ali Watkins now at Politico, politico.com. Um, back to yesterday's hearing, one question I meant to ask you earlier. Uh, originally, it was going to be Sally Yates and James Clapper and Susan Rice. What happened to Susan Rice? Um, she just said she's not going to testify, right? She, she's She's got that option, right? Yes. Is, does she? She's a private citizen? Yeah. It, they could subpoena, I mean, they could her, subpoena I guess, her, but they didn't. No, they didn't. Um, I am curious. I mean, this was a, obviously very highly anticipated, but it was a subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee. Um, which is not running mm -hmm. a very public, wide-reaching right. Russian investigation. So I'm wondering how and if she's cooperating with the intelligence committees because that could be part of the issue. Like she doesn't want to publicly testify if she's cooperating privately with the intel. So I think they're. I don't know. I'm but curious. They were trying to get her on this bogus idea that she unmasked Michael Flynn. Yes, right? I mean I the mean, unmasking yeah. story is the story yeah. that they want all. That Susan they were trying to Susan pursue, Rice and I think yeah. Susan Rice just said. You know, it's not true. It's nonsense. Michael Flynn yeah. unmasked himself by making these calls to the Russian mm -hmm. ambassador and the Washington Post. He said, I'm not going to play that game. So, yeah. And Clapper yeah. effectively said, tamped down on that unmasking issue, too, yeah. yesterday. He did. Right. So good for her. Good for Clapper. Boy, what a busy beat you've got. And, it's uh, never boring. And, <laughs> and now uh, in the hands of Politico, again, politico.com. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, the repercussions of last week's health care vote continue, continue to just grow and grow and grow. Dave Jamison here from Huffington Post to tell us all about it for the next half hour. We'll be right back. We believe that General Flynn was compromised with respect to the Russians. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, May 9, uh, the Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is our base, but we're right there with you coast to coast on YouTube. YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Right there with you as well on Free Speech TV on WCPT out in Chicago. Uh, and check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com if you haven't signed up yet. Uh, please do so. Patreon.com slash BP Show for all the special content that we will be putting up, including uh, very soon a big project we're working on, the making of Bernie Sanders. Uh, I had a chance to uh, uh, and see the good senator Sunday night in uh, Los Angeles uh, and talk a little bit about the health care bill, as bad as it is. Bernie said uh, he wasn't surprised, uh, and nothing surprises him anymore from this gang in the uh, of Republicans in the House, Dave Jamison uh, covers the, uh, the has been covering the health care plan for or the whole debate for the Huffington Post. Good friend of the program, and good to have you back, Hi, Dave. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. 
I hear Donald Trump and Sean Spicer and Republicans on the House, Paul Ryan and uh, Scalise and all the rest of them and Kevin McCarthy talk about this health care bill and what it does. And then I look at what I believe it says. They're like two different worlds. Yeah. They? They're kind of creating an alternate reality around a lot of this because there's a bunch of really unpopular stuff in there, especially when you look at especially the cuts to Medicaid and also this, the issue with pre-existing conditions. Um, you know, Medicaid is actually a pretty popular program. And is, isn't it like 75 million people or something? On, on I'm not sure the huge. exact number, but it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very large. But it is. I think and, and Obamacare it's the largest health insurance program or health care coverage program in the country. So, yeah, the um, you know, this bill would if enacted, it would it would CBO has scored it as as putting about eight hundred and forty billion in cuts to Medicaid over the course of a decade. Um that's undeniable, that, that estimate. And that, these guys are out there saying there won't be cuts to Medicaid. And the reason yeah. they're saying that is because there's a lot of support for Medicaid, and um, it seems cruel to shrink the program and push people off of it. Um, but, you know, one thing this would do for certain is the, the bill would, would unwind the Medicaid expansion that right. uh, Obamacare put in place. You know, it was... Uh, they raised, you know, the threshold, I think it was 133% of, of the poverty line. You became eligible if your state, you know, your your governor, yeah. you know, wanted to take part in that. And that has expanded the, the program quite a bit. And, and that would end. They would they would phase that out. Um, and also it would, it would change the way, uh, you know, Medicaid is, is paid out. I mean, right now, you know, the feds and the states... They they cover you know that the feds help cover the costs and they would change mm -hmm. the program so that it's a per recipient sum that that goes out and that would that would shrink the the shrink the amount of money that goes into the program. There's just there's no way around that and these guys are they're out there. You know Tom Price was on the Sunday shows. I know uh, saying yeah. this doesn't cut Medicaid. It simply it simply does. It does. It does. They say it doesn't cut Medicaid. It does. They also say it covers their new form. Covers people with pre-existing conditions, yes or no? Uh, not not exactly, not fully. I mean, what they're saying, the little kabuki dance they're doing is they're saying you can't, they can't hike uh, prices on people with pre-existing conditions uh, if there isn't a lapse in coverage, okay? And there, if it's something, I think it's a 62 or 63-day lapse, the insurer would be able to, to, to hike those prices. But the, the problem can't, is- Can't states still opt out? Yeah, states. Well, states can opt out of that 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 provision, um, but you, they would you they wouldn't be able to, to hike your rates unless there was a lapse in coverage. The problem is, of course, there are going to be lapses in coverage. Um, there are lapses in coverage all the time. People change jobs. Yeah, life happens. Right. right. And if you're going to kind of weaken the healthcare system overall, weaken the amount of coverage, you know, uh, by you know shrinking shrinking Medi Medicaid, um, making the uh, uh, the sub taking you know changing subsidies you know shrinking uh, the the help you give people to cover there are going to be more lapses and and when those lapses happen you know people can the, their pre existing conditions can come back to haunt them so those are the 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 two big things that are a very awkward spot for them politically that have been a mess for this whole thing is the the huge cuts to Medicaid and the pre existing conditions and that's why they're, they're out there trying to spin this however they can right uh, back to pre existing conditions I mean. It's pretty broad, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be something 
like I don't know uh, MS or no, ALS yeah. or something. My right? colleague I mean, uh, Jeff Young, um, he covers healthcare for us, and he 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 was denied once because he'd had like a bruised rib or something at some point, and and you know some insurer like you know but, that that was a problem for him. So yeah, it doesn't. It's not like you have and, to have cancer. from high blood you know? pressure, yeah, to cancer. Yeah. I mean, it gives the whole range. It gives insurers a lot of leeway. Problem at all. Yes, right. absolutely. And this look, this is an awkward thing. I mean, Trump on the campaign trail said, "Whatever we do, you know, we're not." He said, "We're not going to cut Social Security or Medicaid. This plan would do huge cuts to Medicaid." And he said, "You know, we're we're not going to hurt the people with pre-existing conditions, and this this plan would do that." Isn't there another, uh, in addition to those two? Uh, another thing that nobody talks about, which is that, what do they call them? Basic services the essential or essential health benefits. Essential yeah. Health benefits yeah, the, which now have to be required under Obamacare. Right. Mammograms or maternity, yes. whatever. Maternity the, care, um, you know, substance abuse coverage, mental health, stuff like emergency that. Emergency room. Yeah, so. That none of that has to be included, right? That would, yeah, that would also, states would have the option to, to, to waive so those requirements, left? too. Yeah, I mean, look, the whole. You know, it's you know, you talk to the Freedom Caucus and the the hardline conservatives. They 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 want to give insurers more leeway. You know, this is freedom, right? To yeah. to offer whatever plans well, you want and give consumers the, to really, you know, frankly, to like be able to get as shitty a plan as they want at whatever you know at a lower price. That's kind of the idea here. Um, but you know, a lot of people, you know, know how you know that coverage like that just doesn't go far. You know, and. Um, so, two things that, that that they say. One is, uh, first of all, that Obamacare is imploding. To, I kind of, if I've heard that once, I've heard it ten thousand times. Right um, now, before Donald Trump started really uh, kind of undermining it any way he could, was Obamacare imploding? Well, look, it's not a perfect system, obviously, and um, you know it's got its problems. You have insurers pulling out of the marketplace in places. But a lot of that, that those problems are now are coming from all the uncertainty created around this right, by right. Trump and, and, and the Congress. I mean, you, that is actually the, the case in Iowa where, where some insurers have, have pulled out. They cited that. They said, you know, one reason we're getting out of here is because we don't know what's going on and we don't know if these subsidies are still going to be here at the end of the day with whatever, you know, repeal and replace Congress does here. So that that's a lot of the uncertainty. And I mean... It, it's hard to know where this thing goes and and what the Senate ends up doing. I mean, the Senate has thrown Republicans have thrown cold water on a lot of what was in this this House plan. Um, but uh, it's just it's very very hard to know, and I think people may be kind of over uh, overestimating sort of the the dissonance between the between the two. I mean, a lot of Republicans simply want to get some re- repeal through, and what's kind of scary is. A lot of folks on the House side obviously don't care what's in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, they, I think a lot of them did don't know, obviously didn't read this thing and don't don't yeah. know what's in it and don't you know probably don't care. I mean, they made a um, promise to repeal this thing. thing. I think that starts with the president of the United States who doesn't know what's in it and doesn't care. He just lies about. Oh no, what's he has in. no. I mean, of no. all the people that know what's going on with the health care bill, he knows absolutely nothing about it. But you know what's what's so telling to me about this this whole debacle is that the things that they're doubling down on, the things that they're advancing in this bill, are the things that people hate about Obamacare. Obamacare, not a perfect plan. Far from it. And you've talked about that plenty of times and 
wrote a freaking book about it. But like people expect there to be some sort of coverage. These people that are frustrated and angry at Obamacare, they didn't realize they're going to have to pay for it. And so now we're sort of at this period where I think Democrats have got to offer something. I think, and look, Democrats have a lot of things they're going to figure out on their own, right? But Democrats are going to have to come back and say, okay, this bill is garbage. Here's what we're willing to offer, right? And have, there, have you seen any kind of movement from Democrats in that sense? Not yet. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, the MO so far has been to link arms and to simply yeah. say no on all this. I think when that could change is if there starts to be, you know, some real, you know, if the Senate puts something out, if there's conference and, and, it looks like some sort of repeal and replace might actually happen. I mean, I, I think that's going to really compel Democrats yeah. to to come to the table to you know salvage what they can. Well, there have been, uh, I want to say, several members uh, here in with us in in the studio uh, who have made the point that you want to talk about um, fixing Obamacare. We're ready, man. We know. It needs fixing. We know we could do more to lower premiums or to hold the insurance companies, uh, do something about prescription drugs, you know, do something about public plan option. We're ready to deal. They, they haven't found any Republican willing to work with them on that because Republicans feel they got enough votes on their own to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Right. So they've, I think there've been some attempts, but they've been, but they've been stymied. But you know, the, 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 uh, the way that they go out there and starting again with, with Donald Trump on down, and just say that this plan is going to lower premiums. It's going to everybody will have lower premiums, lower deductibles, better coverage, and everybody will be covered. It's just simply not true. Yeah, and um, right. The bottom line on this plan is is you have to be upfront with people that millions and millions of fewer people are going to have health coverage. Um, that's that's the basic fact. No matter how how they want to spin it. Or whatever they think about, you know, this ex- expanding options for people. The bottom line is there's going to be less government funding for health care, um, and there's going to be, you know, fewer subsidies to help people get coverage, and there's going to be less people with health coverage. And people yeah. people need to understand that. That's that's but, the bottom you know, line. Um, so what? Because as Raul Labrador told us last week. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. After all, here's what he told his town hall. You are mandating people on Medicaid except dying. You are making a No, no one wants anybody to die. You know, that, that line is so indefensible. Nobody dies because they don't have access to health care. <laughs> It's Nobody dies and everybody loses they, their yeah, mind because they don't have access to yeah. healthcare. And yeah. Tomatoes right. fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be a rough week for town halls, but you know, fortunately for Republicans, only like eight of them are doing them. But ba- yeah, back. But back to your point. You know, these people, so many of them who voted for the bill, have no idea what the what's yeah. in it. They have no idea what the impact is. They do not understand the issue at all. They have no, I think, awareness of the problems that people have, you know, with in, in their illnesses in their families. And, the, yeah, those of us who are wealthy and have good health care plans, fine, right? You know, we'll, we'll survive. But these people who now have coverage for the very first time in their lives under Obamacare and are going to lose it, millions, millions, millions of Americans, 
And and that's got to come back and haunt them in 2018. Expanding coverage, it used to be, you know, conservative value. I mean, the Obamacare in part grew out of it was like a heritage idea, sure. you know, and, uh, you know, Mitt Romney started a state version in Massachusetts. But I, at the end of the day, I, you know, obviously they're not willing to do the certain things that are required to expand coverage to millions of people. You know, it requires taxes and, on the wealthy. And, and you know, and Donald it. Trump says, oh, boy, nobody ever told me it was that complicated. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. Everybody else who was dealing with it knew how complicated it was. But it took Jimmy Kimmel to boil it down to one sentence, which he did last night with Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana, uh, who's who is there to embrace what they're calling the Jimmy Kimmel rule? Here he is. The Jimmy Kimmel test, I think, should be no family should be denied medical care, emergency or otherwise, because they can't afford it. Can that be the Jimmy Kimmel test? Is that oversimplifying it? Hey, man, you're on the right track. And if that's as close as we get, that works great in government. Uh, <laughs> that sounds to me, by the way, that sounds like single payer. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah, and you put that you put that on a postcard, <laughs> and you pass it, Jim, through the house or the Senate, Trump sides it. Then we're in business. Yeah, it's just amazing how you could boil it down to that, right? But yeah, and that is single payer. But like this, this is the way we ought to go. Maybe. That, and that's by the way, which Donald Trump last week said is a better plan, when he con- congratulated the Prime Minister of, of Australia. For I mean, better Democrats, they tried the, the compromise short of uh, short of single payer, and yeah. right now it's being exploded. Well, so. I was saying this yesterday. It's like, the, for all of the good that Obamacare did, and I just mentioned it's not a great plan, like, it fell way, way short of a progressive health care plan. It, a lot of concessions were made. A lot of compromises were made to try and get Republicans on board. A, they didn't get on board with it. And B, as soon as they got a chance to try and get rid of it, they they, they did. Or they're trying anyway. Look, it left, so so the, the lesson here is do not compromise. If Democrats think that a single-payer plan is the best plan in the way forward, screw all the other plans. Move forward on that. Come out and say we will accept absolutely nothing less than this, and it will cover this many people. And that's it. There's no compromise. Why compromise? There's only one thing wrong with that, which is that Barack Obama took that off the table from day one. Yeah. Refu- again, my book, Buyer's Remorse. Would not, <laughs> would you call it a freaking book? I call it a great book. Um, still anyhow, available on Amazon.com, uh, yeah. by the way. Still out there. Still huh? available, yeah. But no, seriously, he didn't even, and, and there, strategically, that was a mistake too, because if you start by saying, we're not going to do the best. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're willing to accept something half-ass. You know what you end up with? Something half-ass, which is Obamacare. Uh, and uh, and I loved it when Donald Trump says Australia's got a better plan than we do. Yeah, hello. It's called single payer. Well, it is. Where's we Bernie have, when we need him? You know, we yeah, do have the 2020 hindsight. You know, sure. In knowing how the obstruction was going to go and and the length these guys were going to go to and the money they were going to spend trying to repeal Obamacare. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But my point is, you know, the higher yeah. you shoot, mm-hmm. the higher you get. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he always did nego- negotiate with himself on a lot of things. Yeah. So at this point, um, we, we have talked a little bit about the Senate. I'm going to bore into that a little bit more. At this point, I haven't heard any Republican senator come up and say, even not even to Ted Cruz, and saying, I'm the champion of the House <laughs> health care repeal plan. 
No, department. it's because so, so few people like it. I mean, you look at the polling on this thing, and and not even one in three three Americans uh, says they like this thing. And I think the numbers of people who strongly support it, it's like eight percent. So you know, I I don't know who is really want, you know going to hitch their wagon to that thing. And again, this okay. goes down to there being all these things in there that that, that there is not to like. Right now, the fir- the original CBO score of the first attempt was that 24 million people were going to lose their coverage. Yeah. 880 uh, billion in cuts to 880 billion to in cuts to Medicaid. That got dropped down to like I think 840 with the last iteration. Yeah. Yeah. But there we we don't I don't know how long it will take to get the score out. What are they another 10 days? They, yeah, I'm not sure of the timeline, but yeah, I mean they rush this but thing But one would have to score. expect that the impact is going to be worse on this on this Re- on the number the, on the latest bill, yeah, than the first one, correct? After Could, the, I, after the Freedom Caucus got well, the truth is, we don't know. That's the yeah, bottom line. No, we don't, no we don't know. No, I can't, we don't you know. know. You know, you can I don't know extrapolate your own projections, but that's part of the problem is they put this thing together with no score and barely enough time for people to even read through the thing before yeah. they rushed it through. So it certainly won't have any impact in the House, but it could have the CBO score could have an impact in the Senate. It could, yeah. And I mean, look, I think probably at the end of the day. You know, this may come back to the the conservative wing of the House and how they how they want to play it. You know, say the Senate does come up with a plan. I think there are enough Republicans in the House that just want any any repeal. Like, again, like you look at this bill they just passed. Obviously, a lot of them don't care what's in there. It's going to come down to, again, whether, you know, the conservatives um, in the House, you know, how how strong they want to stand on their principles. And there's going to be pressure on them. It could be the whole, the, you know, the pressure, so much pressure brought to bear from the entire party, you know, from the White House. If there is a viable plan, you know, agreed upon between, you know, the Senate and a sizable contingent in the House, then that really conservative wing is going to have to have to decide what they do. What is the estimated uh, transfer of wealth uh, in this bill? Because when you get rid of the subsidies... You get rid of the subsidies, and then you cut the taxes yeah, it was, that the insurance companies pay and the wealthiest of Americans it's 600 pay. Six hundred some billion in in tax cuts, you know, and that's going to to the wealthy and you know to healthcare companies, and so that that gets lost in a lot of this. Too. It really it, does. It does. That's know, really just, what it is. You hear the Medicaid cuts, and you, all right, well, where's the, you know where's, where's the, the money, money go? going? Right, and it is, and you hear cut the subsidies. Where's yeah. the money go? It mm-hmm. goes to with the two percent tax, right? The people over two hundred thousand, I I'm, believe it is. I'm not sure of the exact. Yeah. And 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 the big corporations mm-hmm. and the insurance companies. So it is. And Bernie has called it that. I mean, it's a yeah, massive. It's and a other Democrats have to a massive transfer. Mm-hmm. Of, so, uh, do you believe that there will be a Senate bill? The Senate's not going to walk away from this. No, I, th- I think they they've said they want to. They're going to take their time a bit. They're looking, I think, at a three month you know, timeline to put something together. But, I mean, this was part of the play by the House was to just simply get something together, you know, even if it's like a piece of crap, and just get it off the table, and then the Senate's going to have to do something. And I think that surely if you're a senator, that's partly what's really aggravating about this whole thing. And then it has that, to, then we'll have to go back to the House to conference. Yeah, and then again. it goes back to conference. Some people they, are saying, oh, you know, the House would never agree to whatever the Senate does. You're I, again, obviously, a lot of them don't care what's in there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The mo- so most knows? likely, 
they will work something out and it will end up on Trump's desk and before the end of the year he will have signed. Yeah, for a lot of lawmakers, this is more about repealing and replacing than repealing and replacing with you know, something that everybody can, can live with. I think in a, in a lot of cases, the details probably don't matter. I was just going to say that when Trump finally signs a bill, they might even have a celebration in the Rose Garden, but oops. Uh, <laughs> they already had that. Well, you know, McConnell. Pre- maybe a little premature. McConnell put together his health care team, and there's there's no women on it. No, no women or minorities, you know. By the way, I just I have to put the, you mentioned the, the, the Senate team. Yeah, the Senate. The Senate all men. Health care team. All white men. Yeah. Yeah, it's all white dudes. Yeah. Well, you know, why do you need anybody else, right? <laughs> oh, God. Apparently. Shh. By the way, just to, uh, you mentioned the Rose Garden, like the ceremony. gang in the Rose Garden. Well, I think yeah. they know, you know, Susan Collins and Murkowski. They can be a problem for. Yeah, you know, that would be a real problem yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Rose Garden. So Donald Trump's Twitter uh, banner photo, he had changed it after the big Rose Garden ceremony with all those Me- members of Congress, mostly men. Uh, there, I think it, there were two women. There were the apparently crowd. two women sort of buried in the crowd yeah. there, yeah. but it didn't last very long. He changed it back overnight. To the his cabinet in his office. That's uh, what it was. He changed it to the healthcare thing, and now it's back. Just, just taking notes. I'm not sure what that means for Donald it's Trump. It's all Dan Scavino. It's all Dan Whenever Scavino. I see like a one of those photos that everybody's making fun of, where it's all white guys laughing and slapping their knees, my first reaction is to make sure I'm not in the photo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good no, point. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah, right. okay. we can laugh at that. Yeah. No, it's okay. not me. Okay. Do you know the last time that uh, a whole gang of members of Congress got on a bus and went down to the White House <laughs> after a big vote? <laughs> when? Bill Clinton's impeachment. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember the Democrats were standing there with Bill Clinton the day the House voted for oh, impeachment? Oh, sure. It's the last time that that happened. Yeah. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a little message there, I think. Did they have, did they have Bud Light? <laughs> yeah, they have the Bud Light. The oh, bad the beer. Bud Light yeah. coming in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, this, uh, no matter, despite the Rose Garden thing, this is hardly the end of the road, Dave, for oh, this. Yeah. We'll, we'll continue to follow it with your help at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Thanks so much for coming in again. Thanks for having me. All right, the rest of the day is yours, folks. We'll give it to you Tuesday, May 9. Now have a great one. But don't forget, set your alarm. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.